Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Sandy, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics, and I'm joined with uh, two of my uh, wonderful colleagues, Chris, Chris Dorides, uh, he's Deputy Chief Economist, and Marissa, Marissa Di Natale. Um, Marissa, what, what's your title? I don't even know what that is. I, I think I ask this every time you're on the podcast. Senior sure. Director. Okay, there it yeah, is. It's pretty, pretty simple. <laughs> Well, it, it, no. she does a lot of things. Pretty unexciting. Exactly. <laughs> hard to, hard to summarize. She keeps the train on the tracks as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So all, all the forecast work that happens all around the world, Marissa uh, manages that process. And that's a very difficult process. So um, very important to have you her on our team. So good to have you, Marissa. I know it's Thank early. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Southern California. It's okay. Yeah, I'm know, used to it at this point. Yeah, 5 a.m. 5, 4.30 a.m. wake-ups. I deserve a little sympathy. I, yeah, it's late. late. It, it's uh, 9, what time is it? 9.08 oh, okay. Tokyo time, p.m. P.m. P.m., okay. If the, I, showed you, I showed you Singapore last Friday, I believe. There, there's Tokyo behind me. Lovely. Oh, nice. You know, I'll have to say a strong dollar is a beautiful thing. Yeah. It, you know, it opens up. Many opportunities. <laughs> okay, we to... just lost eighty uh, percent of our listeners. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we should go to um, London next. No, I was tour. there before. I was there before. Um, oh, that was my first stop. Okay, you should go yeah. back. Cheap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cheap. Yeah. Uh, Great time uh, to visit Europe. Yep. Part was that Chris. Great time to visit Europe. Oh yeah! Great time Europe. to visit anywhere. You know, in Tokyo, it's one forty-seven to the dollar, right? I mean, that's wow. incredible. Uh, you know, that's a, I think you got to go back 25, 30 years to find a yen that week against the dollar. That's all, that's all people are talking about here, by the way, is mm. the weekend, you know? So, uh, and, and re- whether the Federal Reserve should be more sensitive to the rest of the world <laughs> when setting monetary. Yeah. Policy. I've yeah. gotten that question a lot. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, okay, well, we've got a lot to talk about. This is uh, the uh, Friday, October fourteenth. Uh, is it? Oh, or it is still October fourteenth, right? I'm confused a little bit. Yes, yes. it's still it October fourteenth. Okay, it just started for us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so confused by these time zones, uh, and we we need to talk about the consumer price uh, report that came out yesterday. Uh, a lot going on there. Uh, and uh, w- it, while we're in this conversation, the retail sales numbers for the month of September are going to come out. Uh, and maybe one of us can take a look at that and um, give us a sense of those numbers, because that's kind of critical to to what's going on on the growth side of the economy. And we'll play the stats game. Uh, I think we'll have a little bit of fun with that. And uh, we'll call it a podcast. Uh, so uh, I was going to say one other thing. I can't remember what it was. Um, shoot. Uh, it'll come back to me. But anyway, uh, oh, talk. Oh, this is what it was. So I'm, I'm having a conversation with a with a, a client here in uh, Tokyo. And they're saying, boy, inflation is you know so high. It's really high. And I'm going, oh, it, what is it? And of course, I knew what it was. But just to for the conversation, he goes, Three percent inflation is three <laughs> percent. I go, I go it's high by Japanese standards. Yeah, I you, go, buddy. You want to trade? <laughs> I should have said that. Yeah, right. So that leads into the CPI number, the Consumer Price in, uh, Inflation Report. And uh, I don't know, Chris. Do you want to summarize that? Can you summarize? Uh, sure. What yeah. Yeah, I'll summarize it in a word: hot. Uh, yeah. Very hot. Um, the uh, headline CPI, so overall uh, consumer price index, came in at 8.2%, right, mm-hmm. uh, year over year. Month over month, that's 0.4%, which was very high. The expectations, our expectations were for 0.2%, so uh, double uh, what we expected. And that's up from August, which was 0.1%. So moving in the wrong direction, uh, certainly uh, shelter, food, medical care were primary reasons, but one thing that struck me about the report is just how broad the uh, the price growth is. Mm. Well, energy came down a bit, but because of uh, 
gasoline prices, but food was up 0.8% uh, again. And that's, uh, that certainly hits uh, consumers' pocketbooks uh, directly. Core inflation was up as well, right? So this is uh, equally disturbing, perhaps even more disturbing. This is, should be the one that uh, the Fed is focused on a bit more, stripping out uh, food and energy. 0.6, up 0.6% in September, same as August. And we are at 6.6% uh, year over year. So here again, we expected it to, to rise a bit, 0.3, uh, but it came in much faster uh, than that expectation. And again, kind of a, a broad-based set of uh, factors uh, impacting the, the core as well. Uh, we had uh, shelter, uh, so house prices still, or housing costs rather, yeah. uh, still impacting and pushing up um, core inflation. Uh, what was it? New vehicle prices came up, came, came in a bit uh, stronger. Motor vehicle insurance, medical care. So lots of factors that are lots of components that were driving inflation up. Yeah. And what, as you point out, well above our expectations, both on the top line and on core, I think as well, right? We were expecting, yeah. we were expecting 0.3% growth in, in core. So did expect to see a continued uh, rise there, but 0.6 is really high. That's uh, double. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, bummer. Uh, I have to say, uh, very disconcerting. At this two months in a row, pretty disconcerting CPI reports, at least at face value. Marissa, yeah. um, uh, anything to add there? Anything uh, you want to fill in? Just that within within all these components, it was really it's really the service sector that was hotter. So core goods on a month to month basis was zero. Prices stayed the same. Um, so it was really services that picked up and the growth in services was faster than it's been in months and months and months. And as Chris said, it's, it's housing, it's medical care, it's airfare, airline tickets, transportation, kind of, kind of across the board. Well, there goes my statistic. <laughs> oh. Good job. You always have to have a backup. All right. I, have, have I, have backup. <laughs> I absolutely have a backup, but the services okay. definitely was something to emphasize. Uh, I'm with well, you. Know, you know what struck me? Uh, how many components of the of the report had an increase of 0.8%? Yeah. Not like it was everywhere. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, food prices were up 0.8%. You're uh, right. Rent of shelter up 0.8%. Homeowners equivalent rent, which is oh, yeah. you know, what the uh, theoretical rent homeowners pay, up 0.8%. Airfare, yep. up 0.8%. It was like, <laughs> you know, come on. It was 0.8 everywhere. And of course, that's month to month. Yeah. And annualize yeah. it simply multiply by 12, and you go, ooh. That, that's shocking. Yeah. That's pretty close to 10% annualized uh, growth. So that got me, you know, pretty disconcerted, uh, you know, very, very hot infl inflation number. Um, I got, uh, I want to do two things though. One is I want to talk about the outlook for the CPI inflation. And I, I'm going to put a frame around that and I want to go component by component and talk about where it feels like inflation for those components are go going and then add it up to total inflation. And then when I do that, I feel a little more comfortable about the outlook. I mean, obviously, the here and now, it's not. There's nothing to feel comfortable about, but the outlook feels better to me. But here's before I go there. Is the other thing I want to do is what in the world is the markets thinking? So okay, so the CPI number here. I'm in Tokyo. Of course, the CPI number comes out late in the evening, and I look at the number, and of course, I see nothing but red everywhere. Uh, stock prices are down a lot. I think the S and P five hundred is it down to thirty five hundred? Is that is it touched thirty five hundred? Yeah, thirty five hundred. And if, and by for context, the all time the peak back in the start of the year was forty eight hundred, right? So that you know we were getting down into down twenty five percent plus, you know something something like that. And I think the Dow, what was the Dow down at the low point? You know, yesterday was it down? Five, six, seven, eight hundred points. I don't know. A lot, a lot of red. Bond yields are going skyward. I saw the ten-year Treasury yield at four percent. The dollar soaring. You know, you know that that's what you would expect. So you get this hot right. inflation number that says the Fed's got to go on high alert. That may mean higher uh, interest rates than 
is currently discounted, that was currently discounted in the market. Then I go to bed. Uh, <laughs> by the way, I couldn't go to sleep right away. It jacked me up, this, the damn number, which never happens. Maybe, maybe it conflated with jet lag, <laughs> like flying all over <laughs> the world. So could be that. I'm not sure. Uh, and then I wake up and I see nothing but green. And I'm like, I like I I go, oh, this maybe my screen didn't refresh from five days ago or something. <laughs> like, or maybe I'm looking at the Nikkei or something, you know, or maybe I'm looking at P prices. I, you know, I I was like so confused. And it was up 800 points. Uh the SP, what did the SP end at? 36, 3700, something like that. So Okay, Chris, what explains <laughs> what is the I world? Could. And it's not just the equity market. It's 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 felt like all markets kind of changed, pivoted, you know, some sometime when I was went to bed and, and when I got up in the morning. So in Tokyo time. So what what happened? And as you know, uh, I said, I, I said, here's a funny thing, Marissa. So I'm I'm con- con- emailing with with Chris and Ryan. And I'm saying, what happened to the stock market? And I had to ask that question, I'd say, five times before I got any kind of answer whatsoever. <laughs> These guys were just ignoring me. They were ignoring me. And then finally, I was thinking, maybe I should put it in all caps. You know, what happened to the stock market? So what happened? Five times? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I was waiting three. for Ryan to give his answer. Three, three times. <laughs> uh you know, it's hard to say from a fundamentals, right? Everything you described in the first part completely made sense, right? Number comes in, the inflation number comes in hotter than expected. The market uh, craters, right? You would expect that, that that all made sense. Why did it rebound all of a sudden? Um, it, it's speculation, right? A lot of animal spirits there is what I would suggest. You could say, well, maybe the investors uh, digested the report, the CPI report, and yeah, it was hotter, but they kind of expected it would be hot for a while, so um, they start read through the uh, read through the report and realize that it's not terribly different from the the Fed script. They're still Fed's still going to go seventy five basis points this month. May not change the trajectory all that much, and and maybe they turn it around. But that's hard to justify in terms of the massive rally that came back. Right, that would justify okay, maybe they they take back some of the losses, but why why continue or propel the market up my my uh, explanation might be just uh, some type of triggered trading right it's, mm-hmm. it's curious to me that the the bottom was right at 3500 we know that there's a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines especially with higher income households i suspect that they may have triggers out there that says if the market hits 3500 you know that's the time to invest mm. um so maybe that uh, explains part of it or algorithmic trading kind of doing the same thing and taking on a mind of its own we know that much of the stock market trading today is actually algorithmic done by robots rather than, right. than people and as soon as those prices start to rise there's momentum uh, trading that goes on and it can propel things higher so bottom line is i don't know there's no economic reason I can see for this type of uh, uh, reaction here. Was it, it broad? It, was it broad based or across all was, se- sectors, rally? or was it? Yeah. yeah, it was fairly broad based. The, yeah. the banks and um, the sectors that would do, I guess, relatively better in inflation or with higher rates, did uh, rally. Um, but it it wasn't exclusive uh, to those sectors. Mm. It was fairly broad based. So. Well, uh, maybe we'll or it could uh, just be a classic bear market rally, right? Yeah. These things happen too. So. Well, well I, I will have to say last night before I went to bed and I saw all the red on the screen, I was thinking to myself, I think I'm going to buy because, there you, go. Uh, you know, I'm a long-term <laughs> investor. I'm a long-term investor. I don't care if it goes down another five or 10%. This is now value. We're now at a place where the, the, the stock market is, uh, the PE multiples are way in, and you know, don't abet. Ultimately, you can't bet against American companies that are going to do well. So, if you want an entry point into the equity market, this is your entry point. You know, maybe it goes lower. I don't know, but I'm not worried about that because I'm looking long run. And you can buy a lot of stocks that say, seem so out of reach. You know, not long ago, and now feel very good. And so, and that people have got cash, right? That they built up. I think you mentioned this, you know, during the pandemic. Yep. 
sitting in their checking accounts and they're saying, what do I do with this cash? I get that question all the time. You know, what do I do with this cash? You know, from my mother-in-law on down, you know, what do I do with this cash? And, <laughs> and, and I, well, my mother-in-law is 93, so I wouldn't say mom buy equity at this point, but, but nonetheless, you get my point. And then maybe, uh, then you get short covering, right? Maybe you got, you have folks yeah. out there that shorted the market and they, are getting caught in need to cover their shorts, and that drives the market up a little bit further as well. And then the, the algorithmic trading kind of kicks in, and so maybe it's mostly what you call a technical, you know. But maybe there's some fundamental element to it. You got this floor under price because people have a lot of, particularly high income households that tend to invest in stocks have a lot of cash sitting there earning nothing, you know. So they might feel this like this is an opportunity. I don't know, but the other thing is it. It wasn't just the equity market. It was the bond market. So, yeah. you know, 10-year yield, I think it's kind of ended where it started. You know, 395, 3.9, got to 4%, maybe a little bit above, came back, you know, 395. Didn't feel like it, you know, moved any, any to any significant degree based on the report. Um, the, the, cur the currency market, the uh, crypto market, everything felt like it kind of did a full, full U-turn and landed where it was prior to, the report. So I found that, you know, very perplexing, you know, very interesting. Um, yeah. Okay. 10 years at uh, 388 now. This is it at 388? Uh, yeah. yeah so. So. Even oil prices, take oil prices, right? Yeah. Oil prices yeah. are back down. So OPEC announces a 2 million barrel a day cut, which the reality is, you know, it's probably closer to a million, given that a lot of OPEC members weren't producing it, their quota. And prices did jump for a day, maybe two, and they're right they're not that far. They're within spitting distance of where they were before. There was even there was the rumors around the OPEC plus cuts, you know, came into being. So, you know, it's just it's really quite interesting, um, you know, that the markets didn't react to it. Uh, certainly not in the way I would have anticipated. Um, let's talk about the outlook for inflation and continue to focus on CPI inflation. And then we can broaden out to uh, uh, the uh, PCE, the, the consumer expenditure inflator which is the price measure the Fed tends to look at. And here, I just want to try something out on you. Uh, you know, my, 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 my kind of my forecast is that on a year-over-year -year basis, CPI inflation, which as you said is A2, is cut roughly in half six months, nine months from now. And then uh, as you look out, say, uh, 18 months from now, 12, 18 months from now, it's back down to target. Uh, so you go from 8%-ish down to 4%-ish pretty quickly here in the next six or so months, kind of hang there for a little bit, and then it slowly starts to come into around 2.5%, which is kind of the top end of the range for the consumer price index, for, for the target range for the Fed, by early 2024. Let's say the spring, early summer of 2024. And the way I get there is I kind of go through each of the components of inflation and say, you know, where is this headed on a year-over-year -year basis? So let's do that one at a time. Number one, energy prices. So uh, here I'm assuming that oil prices stay uh, roughly where they are. You know, uh, 90 on WTI, it's below 90, but Brent is a little bit above 90. So let's just say they stay around 90, 95 bucks, maybe get as high as 100 bucks a barrel, you know, going forward. If that's the case, then gasoline prices will stabilize around $4 a gallon. Remember the peak was $5 a gallon back in the summer, June. Uh, they got as low as I think 350, 360. They're now back, they're gonna hang around four. If we stay there on a year over year basis, inflation, energy price inflation will you know, abate. Go Right now it's still very positive on the year over year basis because at $4, you're still well above where you were a year ago. But that'll come out by March, April next year and basically, you know, go away as a, a source of, of inflation. OK, let me stop there. What do you think of that outlook for uh, energy prices and and and, uh, and, and its contribution to inflation? Mercer, do you have a view on that? I, I think that makes sense. I would expect not much change going forward in energy prices, right, on a month to month basis. So then it's what about all the downstream stuff to energy that that is inflationary too. Other energy-related commodities, other other things that use energy as inputs, should we expect to see a downshift in price growth in those categories too? 
Right. And we're, and we're, and we, we, I know you'll get to this, but I'm just sort of teeing it up. You know, some of the components, like let's say transportation or food, we know food is very closely linked to diesel prices. So some of that we're starting to see, you can see bits of it starting to come in, but other parts of it are still very inflationary and have been picking up. So it's a little more, I, I think those components are harder to get, at least for me, they're harder to gauge. It's a little more nuanced when you go line by line through some of the other things related to energy. But overall top line energy, I, I agree with that. Yeah. And you make a good point about because the food prices have been rising very rapidly. Right. A lot of that is the cost of transporting the food from the farm to the store shelf. That goes to diesel. Diesel prices have been more elevated than gasoline mm-hmm. prices because a lot of that diesel is finding its way into Europe where prices are higher because of the uh, problems created by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But nonetheless, you would expect that that would with lower oil, lower diesel prices, that that would take some of the steam out of food price, uh, food price inflation going forward. The other thing is, on the uh, with regard to food prices, is ag- you know the agricultural commodity prices they have come back in. You know they surged, many of them surged. Right. You know during the Russian invasion, at the start of the Russian invasion, everything from wheat, corn to fertilizer, but that has come back in. So that also should take some pressure off of of food prices. Chris, what do you think of that outlook for oil and the implications for uh, inflation? Uh, I think it's reasonable uh, that we would kind of fall in this target range. That seems to be what uh, OPEC Plus is also designing. Um, I think I think you have to answer this question. We really need to think about the recession question, right? I'm going to bring it up early here, but yeah. it really depends if you think we are going into recession or if we actually do go into recession globally. Um, then, then certainly you could actually see energy dragging or taking away from inflation, right? It could actually turn negative. But um, well, can I stipulate on my? Yeah. Can I stipulate on my my forecast from eight to four in six nine months to two and a half, 12, 18 months, or more, cl- more closer to eighteen? That is a non-recession scenario. So just that's what I figured. That's what I figured. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Wildcard, I would. What I want to get your opinion on is the uh, strategic petroleum reserve, which has been helping keep prices from going even higher, right? Releases from the SPR that's set to, well, there's no plan I know of to increase those uh, certainly and actually is set to be refilled at some point. Does that act as a drag and actually support price growth or would OPEC compensate? Is this just a, are the recent, uh, the recent actions by OPEC plus just compensating for the strategic petroleum reserve. So, you know, it'll net out if, um, if we back off on, uh, if the U S backs off on the uh, SPR releases, then OPEC will back off on its uh, hikes or what do you think is the dynamic there? Yeah. So two things, one, I do expect more SPR releases and uh, you know, I'm assuming we get on average a release of about 700, thousand barrels a day over the course of the next six, nine months. And that is critical to uh, providing the supplies necessary to fill the void left by the sanctions on Russian oil. And I am assuming the European Union does follow through on its sanctions. And that's four and a half, I think it's 4.4 million barrels a day that comes offline as we move into uh, next year when they uh, implement the sanctions. So I am assuming that and I do think there's enough oil in the SPR to kind of provide that to the marketplace through most of next year. Then it might be, get a little hairy as you start to draw down the SPR inventories. But the second thing is I, I agree, I, I, I concur with your what you alluded to, and that is I think the Saudis and OPEC are calibrating production quotas to maintain an oil price that's somewhere between $90 and $100 a barrel on Brent. Because at $90 a barrel, they can make money, right? It's, it, you know, I'm, I was in the Middle East the week before a lot, the week before this week. And so I got to know a lot more about, you know, the fiscal situation there. And like the Saudis break even oil price is about 75 bucks on Brent. So they need, if, when you start getting down to 80 bucks, which is where we were getting before they announced those cuts, you're getting pretty close to that, you know, that break even. And that, 
that's a problem for them because when I say break even, they don't have cash to invest in all the investments they're making in trying to diversify their economy. It's just meeting the basic needs of, uh, the, the, of, the, of the population. So my view is that as you know, the SPR starts to you know, get to a place where it needs to start winding down, we'll see OPEC you know, respond to that. Obviously, other variables matter, like what's the state of the economy, how much oil is China buying, so forth and so on. Uh, you know, what's, the, what's going on with Russian oil, the price caps and everything else. But I am assuming that the, the OPEC is a rational actor economic actor and will, you know, price oil at 90 to 100 bucks a barrel. And they have capacity to, given the slack in, in oil demand and capacity, they have the ability to calibrate things for, the, for that oil price. So that, that is my working assumption here. Yeah. Okay. That, okay. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Provided there's no recession. Yes. Okay. All right. So we talked, yeah, no, well, no recession, you know, Inflation is coming in a lot faster, and one of the reasons is global oil demand is going to be evaporating, right? And oil right. prices are coming down. Yeah, no, totally agree. No, I th- I'm trying to figure out how this, how we get inflation down without actually going into a recession. You know, what got it. Got By the okay. way, retail sales just came out. Oh yeah, what were they? Uh, well, I can't, I can't quite zero. see the entire, but it's no change over the month. Zero. Zero. What was expectations? Do you know? Does anyone know? Um, it was positive. It- Small positive. Small positive. Yeah. Right. Okay. 0.2% was consensus. Okay. Okay. I guess the one thing we need to know is X food energy. Yeah. I mean, excuse me, not X food energy, X cars, X autos. Yeah. uh, 0.1% up. Okay. And gasoline? That would probably have to be positive, probably. Right. X X auto, X X gas and autos is 0.3%. Okay. That's not bad. And what Plus about X auto, X gas, X? I know I'm stretching things. Building material. The building material. Because <laughs> that's what goes into consumer spending. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you are stretching. I, it's yes. not in my alerts. Here. Okay. We don't have worries. to go in the report. You know what they call that? Control, control. Maybe that's Merce's uh, statistic. Control retail sales. Yeah. Okay, that let's... would be a great one if she selected it's it not. during the podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, would be... that would be a good one. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe you can, we can look at, try to figure out what, what that is, the control retail sales, you know, if we have an opportunity. But that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound great, but it doesn't sound too bad. You know, 0.3 X auto X gas. That seems pretty reasonable. Okay. Uh, is um, that too hot? Is that still too hot then? Mm, I don't the know. Fed's that, expectations, right? That, that, well, if there's a little bit of inflation, right? That means like zero real growth, doesn't it? Sort of mean that. I mean, it feels like yeah. roughly where yeah. you'd want it. Um, I think. Um, all right, let's keep on the frame. Uh, let's, okay. <laughs> so we talked about energy and the pass through into food and other uh, downstream uh, uh, prices, goods prices. The next thing is supply chains and uh, various uh, pr- prices for products that got disrupted. Uh, but prices that surge because of the disruption to the supply chain, vehicle prices being the poster child for that. But you know, goods prices more broadly. It feel and we got a point eight on new vehicle, another point eight, I think, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. On new vehicle. That's that that those increases have got to stop, right? I mean, uh, they can't keep going up. And my thinking here is, and used vehicle prices, they're no longer going up, but they didn't really fall, they're not really falling, at least not. Falling as much as you would think, given the auction prices, right? Okay, the but they fell one point one percent. They've fallen they fall three down? months okay. in a row. Okay, right. yeah. they should be it's falling, not... but I think they should be falling more. Faster, yeah, it. I agree with that. But yeah. at least they're they they're are moving in the right direction. Direction, yeah. Yeah. So my thinking here is we should get good news as well, right? Because again, you know, we're making assumptions, but the assumption here is that supply chains continue to iron themselves out. You know the no uh, the China's uh, back up and running. So they've gotten through the last wave. In, in future waves, probably won't be as disruptive because they'll wind down their no COVID policy. It feels like that's the direction they're headed. And we should get more chips, uh, more everything you need to produce vehicles. And we should get vehicle production. It's, vehicle production is already normalized in the U.S. We're back uh, producing cars at the same rate as we were pre-pandemic. Still in Japan and in Germany, which are the other two major, other than China, vehicle producers in the in the world, 
that export, they their production is still well below pre-pandemic, but that should improve with the supply chains. And as we get into next year, next spring, next summer, we should start to see enough vehicle production where inventories start to rebuild and price growth moderates and even starts to decline. So we get vehicle prices at right now adding significantly to inflation, they will start becoming neutral to actually a, a, a weight on inflation, let's say, you know, six, nine months from now. Okay, let me stop right there. What do you think of, of, of that perspective? Chris? Supply chains are improving, right? If you just look at the cost to ship a container across the ocean, across the Pacific, right, it's come way down. So that's uh, one indication. But we do have some labor unrest, potentially, right? We have uh, railroad strike potential that the union voted down. So I and I think really across the globe, across Europe, you have workers who are responding to the wage pressures as well, asking for more, asking for uh, uh, threatening strikes. So those supply chains, I, I, I still see as being somewhat fragile there, right? It, I think your script makes sense if nothing else happens, but yeah. um, there is but that risk that, that things could turn around here. Yeah, so uh, I think you're right in terms of the broader trend. I also wonder if um, consumer demand might moderate for uh, new vehicles as well, right? If we are, even if we don't go into recession, right? Uh, people are going to be a little bit more cautious and on edge, and that certainly could help remove some of that uh, inflationary pressure. So, right. So I agree right. with the the outlook there, but yeah, there's the risk. touch and go in terms touch of the, the risks that are out there. Yeah. Marissa, anything to add there on the supply just, chain? Just that I saw that within the vehicle sector, you know, it's not just manufactured new vehicles where prices were up. Mm. It's also parts and repair yeah. services and all of that, right? So that kind of makes me wonder if there is still some supply chain stuff going on, if there are, we know some of the, the parts and the metals that are used in cars um, have to pass through Ukraine, Russia, and with that conflict still going on, um, there's always that chance that things become still, you know, they stay messy. So until that completely clears, then I think there's always that risk that you have some disruption for some of these commodities coming out of that part of the world. So generally, I agree with you that that should be the trajectory, but I think there's still that risk out there. Yeah, yeah. I guess the other thing to add to the pot here on this issue is other goods prices. I picked vehicles as the poster child, but <clears throat> other there's been other significant disruptions to the delivery of other goods, you know, from building materials to appliances to consumer electronics to apparel. And it feels like the, the those are becoming less of an issue as well. In fact, we've we've seen yeah. inventories of those things build up pretty pretty significant degree. And it feels like retailers are going to have to be uh, pretty aggressive with their price discounts on those products as we go into the Christmas buying season. So, uh, I think that should also be helpful as we move towards the end of the year into next. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Smartphone prices were down again. So. Yeah. Although they're always down, I think, right? Aren't they? I, well, you had this iPhone come out. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot hydronics. more, but at the same yeah. price. So. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, there's that's the quality adjustment that the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics does, I think. Yeah. Okay. I, I, All right. I, I, so we, we got energy. We got the downstream effects, food, and some other products. We've got supply chain, vehicle prices, maybe some goods prices. Let's turn to uh, housing costs and rents. And here too, it feels like we might have some better news, right? I mean, if I, I, I'm going to turn to you, Chris, because you know the data better than I. But my cursory look at the data here is a bit of a blur being in, in, the, in, in Europe and Asia. But it feels like market rents are starting to really weaken. I don't know if they're declining yet. Huh. Are they declining? In, Oh, so asking rents. Asking rents. So kind of yeah, the market yeah. rents, you know, yep. not what's in the CPI, because that reflects market rents from six months ago or nine months ago. Or the entire rent. market, right. This yeah. is over new leases. Yes, they are weakening. Um, certainly on a month-to-month -month basis. 
and year over year is coming down um, across many markets. So yeah, that that is helpful. That that points to uh, some some weakening in the overall CPI inflation component. But as you alluded to, right, it takes time for those new market rents or new leases to actually filter through into the CPI inflation index of all uh, leases. So we might be at peak, that's good. And then we'll gradually see some uh, some weakening throughout 2023, but it's gonna be a long process. I mean, housing is gonna continue to push up on uh, inflation for a while here, even after, right? Even if the other components that you mentioned start to turn and, and go away just by the nature of how it's calculated, housing is going to continue to, to be a drag. Do you know, are, are rents actually falling yet nationwide? Or, or are we talking about that the rent increases are moderating significantly? On a month-to-month month basis? Sequential yeah. basis. Yes. They're falling. Uh, yep. Oh, they cool. Are. At least, base, well, there are lots of different uh, indices. Yeah. Right? Uh, the ones I've seen, the major ones, yeah, they, they do show uh, decreases month-to-month. And and what's going on? Well, I mean, I'm sure it's supply and demand, but what's driving this right now? This so both weakening and yeah. asking market rents. I think a lot of it has to do with the affordability piece that you just can't. People just can't afford to pay more, right? They're not getting the wage increases that would allow them to pay that extra ten percent or fifteen percent that they might have been required to last year. Right, and that is leading to household uh, uh, formations uh, slowing or uh, de- outright demand destruction. You do have uh, supply coming online too, as you mentioned, right? So that's the one bright spot in the construction picture when we look mm-hmm. at uh, housing. It's the multifamily side. Uh, starts have been strong. Depletions have been uh, continuing to to ramp up. So that's that's positive. That is putting more supply on the market. Um, but yeah, I think it's it has more to do with the demand weakening, right? Although there's lots of demographic demand out there, people want to uh, to move out. Of, um, it's just not affordable for them at the moment. Yeah, so. so-called demand destruction, right? The price is so exactly. high, they literally can't afford the rent. Therefore, the household doesn't form uh, that otherwise would have formed. Yeah. Yeah. What about they're, they're not going to be first-time homebuyers <laughs> either, right? That's for right sure. Now. Right now, I mean, yeah. that's not an option. At seven percent mortgage now. Yeah. Well, I think early earlier in the year when mortgage rates didn't get as high as they were when they first started to rise and affordability for single family became an issue, that actually helped increase demand for rent. For rent. Yeah. Right. Because they couldn't first time buyers couldn't become first potential first time buyers couldn't become first time buyers. Mm-hmm. They stayed renters. That juiced up demand. But now we're at a point where you can't afford a single family home and you can't afford the rent. And that's causing that demand destruction, and that's causing rents to, to weaken, along with the increase in supply that we're getting. And, it's, and it's, again, going back to supply chains, as they iron themselves out and building materials become more available, as appliances become more available, you can complete more multifamily units. Where And there's a record number of multifamily units in the pipeline to go into completion. What about remote work? You know, I... Um, you know, uh, one dynamic that I think might have served to increase rents is the move of people from big urban centers in uh, the Northeast down to the Southeast and to Texas and folks from the mountain, from the uh, Pacific Coast into the Mountain West. And that really, uh, you know, it helped moderate rents in the big metropolitan areas, but it really juiced up rents in the places where they moved to. And it feels like that also contributed to the strong rent growth. And that now is starting to unwind or at least slow down and becoming some an issue. Do you think that's, I think that's, I think we had John Burns on and that was a point he was making. John Burns being, you know, a really great housing economist. Does that resonate with you guys as well? Marissa? Yeah. Or Chris, go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I I think so. Right. Yeah. At least at, at the very least, I don't, see more or accelerated um, remote work arrangements. If anything, people are taking a second look in terms of, uh, our employers are taking a second look in terms of requiring people uh, to come into the office a few days a week, the hybrid work. So it might, we not may, we may not see a complete reversal, right? In terms of those remote work arrangements, but I don't think we're gonna see much more 
uh, anytime soon. And so that that should contribute to taking off some of that demand or pressure as well. Right, right. Okay, so my my, uh, my kind of uh, forecast is, expectation is that now that asking rents, uh, market rents are weakening, actually declining, that that will start to translate over into uh, weaker uh, uh, CPI for housing costs, uh, rent for, of shelter, homeowners equivalent rent. Not soon, not quickly, not certainly between now and the end of the year, but by next spring, summer, I would start to expect that to start to slow and become a, a you know much less of a tailwind to overall inflation as we move to the second half of next year. Does that does that resonate? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're shaking your head. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It won't be fast, but uh, yeah, it'll. It won't be fast. That, that's a year from now when yeah, exactly. it starts to really show up. But that goes to my forecast. We go from eight now to mm-hmm. four by next spring, summer, and then getting from four to two and a half, that's going to be more work. And a part of that is uh, is uh, is the slowing in housing costs. We're not going to get right. point eight. Point eight is what we got last month. We're going to start getting something much less than that a year from now. Going yeah. into- okay. For All right. Sure. All right. Here's the next thing. Uh, wages, uh, wage growth. This goes to uh, the cost of uh, the uh, consumer prices for all kinds of services. Most significantly, I think, medical care, because, you know, medical care is a a source of inflation that's become much more of an issue in recent months. And I think that goes back to the fact that the healthcare sector is very labor intensive. And if you've got strong wage growth, that starts translating into uh, strong cost of uh, medical care. The uh, uh, hospitals and other uh, uh, facilities started to, to raise their prices more aggressively. And that takes some time for that to occur because there's all kinds of cr- contracting that occurs that uh, slows down the, the transmission of the higher labor costs to actual medical care uh, inflation. And But it's now starting to show up. But uh, my uh, thinking here is that the Fed... This is where the Fed comes in. The Fed is raising interest rates and will continue to raise them aggressively, significantly enough to slow down job growth, virtually coming to a standstill, causing unemployment to start, causing all those unfilled positions to evaporate that's already started, causing layoffs to normalize, causing unemployment to start to edge higher. And that will allow wage growth to roll over and start to move back to something that's more consistent with the Fed's inflation target. That will take a lot of time, and that's why it takes eight, you know, close to eighteen months. It's not until, you know, spring summer of twenty twenty four before inflation is back to target. Uh, Marissa, what do you think of the logic of that that logic? This is the part that worries me the most. <clears throat> um, I mean, we've already seen wage growth kind of seemingly top out, right? If you look at the ECI and you look at other measures of wage growth, it doesn't look like it's accelerating anymore. It's around 5% and it's kind of hanging there. So the the non-acceleration is good. Um, What what worries me, you mentioned medical services, right? But it's kind of a, a lot of services. If you look at that CPI report, it's all over the place. And that's where that's where I get worried that are we entering this situation where all types of businesses are starting to raise prices based on labor costs and we're going to get into this cycle of then workers asking for more money and businesses relenting and then raising prices again. We've talked about the wage price spiral on this podcast before. Um, yeah, job growth has to slow. Right. I mean, it, it, there, there. I think in in your whole arc of everything you're saying in the back of, I know you're you're saying I'm assuming no recession, but in my mind, I feel like we need some demand destruction to get from eight percent to three percent in a year. Eighteen months. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> from even from eight to from eight to four. <laughs> <laughs> Two years. Not to put a fine point on it, but you know. 
Okay. To go I, from I, eight to four, four to two and a half, or, you know, well, you the, know the plan. Okay. Well, let me push back on that a little bit. And uh, then we'll get Chris into that because I'm, I'm sure Chris. Uh, I'm just sitting back and enjoy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> let someone else do the heavy lifting. Carry <laughs> water. Okay. So uh, it feels like wage growth is about 5%. And in fact, as you pointed out, more recent data, you know, and I don't want to put too much weight on it, feels like it's less than that, you know, four and a half to five. You know, if you look at the average hourly earnings numbers, I know I don't, we don't like to do that, but okay. I, I look at it when it conforms with my priors. <laughs> <You> know, so, <laughs> uh, and I'm honest about it. I'm on, at least I'm honest about it. Yeah. There okay. you go. It's on record, folks. Okay. It's on the record. And we, in my view, need to get to three and a half percent to be consistent with the 2% inflation target. That is 2% inflation plus one and a half percent productivity. That's three and a half percent. So if you get wage growth, that's three and a half percent. That's consistent with productivity. And of course I'm there's you know all kinds of rounding here, but that's 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 non-inflationary if we get there. So we got to go from five-ish, maybe a little lower to three and a half. You don't think we can do that if the job market comes to a standstill. If job growth comes to a stand roughly a standstill, it's hard to calibrate that exactly. And you have uh, unfilled positions evaporating, uh, layoffs normalizing, unemployment notching higher. You know, uh, uh, slowly but but over time. You don't think that's maybe, maybe what you're saying is, Mark, that sounds good on paper, but how can you? Wait, are, okay, are, okay, but that's yeah. not a recession. That's not a recession. It's not a recession. It's just no. no job growth. Unemployment rate goes higher. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we could. You know, there's another side of wage measures and that's compensation uh, the 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 non-wage compensation yeah. part of it we know medical costs are rising i think even in the cpi report they showed they showed insurance costs like medical insurance costs so there's all these non-wage benefits too that employers have to pay they can they can adjust wages but they're they're basically kind of price takers in a lot of situations when it comes to the the non-wage benefits so yeah, I, I, I guess the calculation can work if wage growth, or excuse me, if, if employment growth comes to a halt for a period of time. Okay. All right. Well, Chris, let me, I can, I can hear what you're going to say, but go ahead and say it. <laughs> I can uh, it but go ahead. Go ahead. I, 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 no, I know. No, no. Go ahead. I think there is that that path more okay. broadly, but um, I think we also face deeper structural issues that, uh, especially in medical care, right? Aging population, immigration policies that limit the number of healthcare workers. So I'm really struggling to see how that sector in particular, medica- medical care, actually sees uh, limited wage growth that we, right? We can't, can we really eliminate those job openings, labor shortage back. in that sector too. Already, already labor shortage. Are yeah. we really going to pull back even more? And this, I also think, goes to the the, the uh, demographic differences in the in the uh, across households at, at this point in terms of the uh, financial positions, right? So you have some older, more wealthier households, right, continuing to demand health care. Right. And they have financial resources. They have a lot of excess savings at this point. Very hard for the Fed to do much to curb their their demand for those inelastic goods. So I, I think they're fighting a real uphill battle in, in some of those sectors. At the same time, you have right, the lower income households that don't have those resources who are you know, fully exposed to those inflationary pressures. Yeah, they'll cut back on their spending, but they are not the bulk of the overall uh, macro spending. So that's where I see really... Uh, a complicated environment here when it comes to the to Fed policy and truly getting the demand down sufficiently to curb inflation without causing a recession. That's that's the crux where I'm I'm really struggling because of these structural yeah. issues. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess the one area where I feel most vulnerable in terms of my forecast is medical care inflation. Uh, and you know, adding to that is the fact that that has medical care inflation that has a much higher weight in the consumer expenditure deflator. There's two measures of inflation that we look at. One is the consumer price inflation. That's what we've been talking about. 
But the reality is the Fed targets the consumer expenditure deflator and is, it's it weighted differently because it's just measuring inflation in a slightly different, somewhat different way. And medical care has a much lower weight in the consumer price index, much higher weight in the consumer expenditure deflator. And that is flip on housing. Housing is much more important to right. CPI. And one reason my CPI is so juiced is because it has a very high weight on housing. The, the PCE, the consumer expenditure rate are a lot less. But if if uh, medical care inflation continues to accelerate, that's going to be more of an issue for the PCE than the CPI and complicates the Fed's ability to, you know, n- normalize uh, policy so and to avoid a recession. So so I hear you. We're, we're, uh, we're, we've already this has gone on quite a bit longer than I expected. <laughs> yeah, always does. I always enjoy these conversations. Let's go to the game. Let's go to the statistics game. Uh, and of course, we each put forward a statistic. The rest of us, the, the, the other two of us who are going to try to figure that out through questions and deductive reasoning and clues. And the best statistic is one where uh, it's not too easy, one that's not too too hard and is apropos to the uh, topic at hand, which is obviously inflation, but it doesn't have to be. It could be, you know, uh, you have a license. So uh, let's go with you, Marissa, first. What's your statistic? Um, okay. My statistic is 31% in September. Is it in the consumer price? Is it related to the consumer price report? Ooh. Oh, wow. Okay. Is it in the <laughs> it's NFIB? Not, it's not in the, cons- no, it's not in the CPI report, but it is, is related it- to inflation. Oh, okay. Is, is it, it a derived statistic, something you calculated? No, no. No. Is Mark, it in you, the you said it. NFIB survey? It is, yeah. The, per- the percent of businesses that are raising prices? Or, no, or the other thing, prices. yeah. Compensa- yeah. Raising price. They say they're going to raise price. That will, that are planning on raising. Planning so on it's, raising interest, yeah. yeah, so it's the net percentage. It's a diffusion index. The net percentage of small businesses that say that they will raise prices in the next three months. I didn't and realize, that, wait, that's not a And that's, and that's a, yeah, it's the percent who say they're going to minus the percent who say that they're, going to hold prices steady or oh, lower that. prices. It is. Yeah. Okay. And that is down from an all-time series high. And this data goes back to 1986. That was 51% in November of 2021. So in November, 2021, it reached this all-time high. It kind of stayed up there and it's been falling since. So now it's down to 31%. And this series is pretty pretty tethered to overall CPI. If you plot it along with the growth rate of CPI, they track very, very closely. And it leads a little bit too. So this may hopefully go to the argument that inflation will abate one of these months that we'll start to see. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Wasn't that my argument? I'm sorry? That was my argument. Right? I know. I'm she's arguing for you. She's giving you a fighting chance. <laughs> I know that was your argument. argument. Yeah. So you're, you're, okay, I'm, you're saying, saying, okay. I'm saying here's some supporting evidence for okay, that argument. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Chris, do you hear that? You see how this is done? You well, know, you, you come up with data that supports my argument. <laughs> that was not my. That's, that wasn't my intent at the outset. <laughs> no, I know, but I'll, I'll definitely take it. I'll definitely take it. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. That, I, that, that was a, that was, I get some, you know, I get some credit for that. Don't you think Chris? I thought, yeah, that, I don't have my cowbell, but yeah. Okay. Mm. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, save it for next oh, time. Okay. You're, you're up, Chris. What's your statistic? 28.2%. Mm, it's in the CPI report. It's in the CPI and you alluded to it earlier. Oh, it's air so. airline tickets. Nope. No, those I think were like 40. When Plus you, percent, forty-two percent. This I is year over year. One. Co- this is a component that's up twenty-eight percent. Twenty-eight point two percent. A good, a good or service that's up twenty-eight percent. Is it? Is it in food? Food part? Not food. No, that's ten no. percent. Um, it's a. It's a service. It is a service. Uh, 
sorry, you said it was month over month or year over year? Year over year, thank God. (laughs) Well, there is some crazy stuff going on even in the, yeah. Wow. This one's Um, pretty crazy as well, 28.2 in a year. So that's why I highlighted it. Oh, I know what it is. Auto repair? No. No. Uh, That was up a lot too. That was up a lot, yeah. Um, I alluded to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What 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 component is up twenty eight percent year over year? Is and it's a service. It's it not is. A, it's a service. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in uh, huh? It's not healthcare related. It is healthcare related. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. What would that be, Marissa? What uh, did I allude to? Yeah, oh, I said be? there's a short. Is it is it nursing homes or no nursing wow. facilities? No, it's uh, it's simpler than that. It's uh, not as detailed, I guess. Oh, uh, I give up. Okay, health insurance, as measured oh. by the CPI. Oh, okay. Health insurance up twenty eight point two percent to up two percent in the month. I, right. So. I did allude to it, but I didn't know what the number was. I just knew it was really big. <laughs> it's huge, right? Twenty eight point two. Now the CPI has a weird way or a different way to calculate health uh, insurance, right? Than, yeah. the, than the PCE, right? It's CPI is just capturing consumer out of pocket. Mm. Um, yeah. So that would so, be, what would that be? Like, uh, uh, like uh, private health insurance? Like so, I'm, I'm trying to figure out who that would be, who would pay that. My um, guess, my understanding, and I try to dig a little bit. It's really, yeah. Yeah. Dense, right? They go into this retained earnings calculation. It's it's quite yeah. complex how they try to derive it. I believe huh. it though. It is someone who an individual who's going out and purchasing health insurance on their own. What what is the increase in the premium that they're and they, they don't go on Obamacare or something like that. They can't get I, Obamacare. I guess so. That's my Oh, that's interesting. My sense. Yeah. So. Okay. Okay. Whether uh, it's right or right, it's, it, you know, it does yeah, it makes the point. factor into the uh, inflation, right? So you want to always be careful. It's not a huge component, but to the extent there are some measurement uh, issues here. Right. Uh, they could influence the, the inflation as well. Okay. I've got, I've got one for oh, that. Not bad. That's okay. That was, that yeah. was a little esoteric, but, uh, but interesting. Uh, just well, you know, it. Marissa took my first one. So. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> services yeah. yeah i i got one and i'm not sure this is going to be a hard one i'm, I'm sorry to say but also i might have to give you a hint it's, it is uh related to the uh discussion we were having around inflation and the framework i put together and uh but i'll, I'll give you the statistic it's 40 excuse me 439 million 439 million any number that came out this week uh, indeed, it did. Yeah. Oh, no. 439 million. Yeah. Big number. Units or dollars or? Uh, it's not dollars. It's, it's not dollars. It's. No. Um, it, it can't be housing. Not housing related. related. No. no. Um, it is, it is energy. Energy related. Yes. Oh, it's. Is it? Is it? Inventories. It uh, is indeed. Oil inventories. Oil inventories. Oil, oil inventories. Uh, Four hundred thirty-nine million up a lot. Almost ten million barrels in the last week. We get this data from the Energy Information Administration every week, and I watch it pretty carefully because obviously, you know, we need oil, and it's probably overstating the case. Uh, I'm wondering if. Hurricane Ian might have disrupted exports because exports were down quite a bit, uh, you know, during the week. Mm. It may also be, you know, there's a lot of discussion. Maybe we should uh, restrict uh, exports. The Biden administration, at least some rumors coming out that they've been thinking about that. Uh, So maybe there was some holding back of exports. I'm not sure. And if if you don't export, then that uh, stays in inventory and causes the inventories to jump. But it does highlight uh, something very interesting, and that is demand for oil is way down. It's almost 4% lower today than a year ago. Uh, so there is a lot of demand destruction going on uh, as a result of the higher energy prices. And you know that helps with 
uh, inventory, which ultimately helps with price. And I think it's one reason why oil prices, you know, did not have come back in despite OPEC uh, OPEC's announced uh, production cuts. So what we need to watch that very carefully and, uh, you know, certainly that, that number moving it in the right direction. So, and I will say consistent with my forecast, my, my forecast of where things are going. Yes, okay, let's end, the, let's end the conversation this way because Chris, I know you need to go. Uh, two things. Uh, uh, one, uh, I want you to lay out what you think the path for the federal funds rate target is going to be uh, in your your uh, most likely scenario for the economy. And, 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 and also, what is your probability of recession? Maybe you should begin with the probability of recession. What is the probability of recession over the next 12 to 18 months? And then what does that mean for the federal funds rate target going forward? And I don't know, Chris, do you know, last I looked, the market's expectation was for the Fed was that the Fed would raise uh, the funds rates a three quarters of a point when they meet in November, a half a point when they meet in December, another quarter point when they meet late January next year, that would put the federal funds rate target at four and a half and four and three quarters percent. And that that's roughly the so-called terminal rate, the high point for the funds rate. It stays there for most of 23 into 24 and then starts to come in. Is that, do you know, Chris, is that roughly right? Can you tell? Um, I looked yesterday and it was after the CPI report. Oh, it was after the CPI? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It looks like terminal rate of 475 to 500. Mm -hmm. Oh, so oh, it's four seventy five. So yeah, so it's oh, an that's extra, a little higher. That's an extra twenty five. That's another extra twenty five. And there's more probability now on seventy five. The next, you know, five hundred to five twenty five or five fifty. Yeah, right. right. Okay. So, so okay. definitely moved up. Okay, so so let me say what I just articulated is my forecast for the funds rate, and I would put the odds of recession over the next twelve to eighteen months at fifty five percent. They did go up. I was at 50 uh, last week with the CPI number. I, I think the path forward is now more difficult. So I put them at over even odds uh, over the next 12 to 18 months. What about you, Marissa? What, what's your view? I was thinking I was thinking between 60 and two thirds probability of recession. Yeah, okay. over the next year. Right. And is I that, have a, a that above two thirds? <laughs> Let's put it right at two thirds. Okay. You want to go right up to two thirds? Yeah. Okay. And of course, for the listener, that's a key threshold because once we go over two thirds, then you're arguing for a change in our baseline. In the forecast, yeah. Yeah. So you're not calling for a recession yet in our baseline. It's becoming harder for me to to say that I, yeah, I'm right on that verge. Okay. I'm right on the edge, yeah, where it's becoming harder to say that there won't be a recession. But you're still saying no recession in the baseline. Yeah, because you are. It's your forecast. I have no, to, no, 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 no. I'm not no, making my own forecast. We're all going down together. Yeah, no, no. Uh, okay. And what about the funds rate forecast? Any, any, you don't need to have a view if you have a view. Different. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I keep waiting for the inflation, the CPI report to turn over, right? And it's it's not. It's it's looking more persistent. So I think the path you laid out for another 150 basis points seems reasonable. But if we get another report like this, I think then where yeah. um then I'd be more in line with what the market's saying of an even higher terminal rate. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Chris? I'm sticking with a 70% <clears throat> probability of recession. Um, and uh, probably to 425 to 450 on the Fed yeah. funds. We don't even system. get to we don't get there because we go into recession sometime early mm-hmm. next year. Right. Early and early. You you think early next year, like next spring ish. Spring ish. Yeah. The timing's hard to pin yeah, down sure. exactly, but yeah, I think it's but I, first I, half I, of the year. I think anyone who says we should have a recession has to tell us when. Right. That's yeah. only fair. Yeah. That's fair. Only it's fair. It's fair, right? Okay. And yeah. next month, I'm going to ask you what month we're going into recession. Because you got to put it into the oh, forecast. Uh, you got to put it into the forecast. Oh, okay. I thought it was going to be the day and the hour, but well, the month is that, no problem. That's coming. That's coming. That's coming. <laughs> Refine your models. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, anything else uh, folks want to bring up, you guys? Uh, I think we covered a lot of ground. Um, no? Have a safe okay. trip. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. I'm looking forward to coming home. I'll be... Yeah. 
on a jet flying back tomorrow. I'll get back uh, in uh, New York um, late tomorrow. I'm really looking forward to it. How's the weather there? In uh... Uh, it's a little cloudy, rainy. Oh, geez, bummer. But uh, yeah. the Wawa coffees will be waiting for you. So. Okay, I'm looking forward to the Wawa. I, I, you know, that's the worst thing when you leave your coffee behind. It's like terrible. Your day is never exactly right without the right coffee. These cappuccinos right. I'm drinking, you know. Anyway, all right, uh, we're gonna call it a podcast. Uh, talk to everyone next week. Take care now. <laughs>